If you have your Bibles, guys, let's go back to Joshua, the 24th chapter, verses 14 and 15, real quickly. Uh, and we are finished this, this part of our rooted introduction, and we're talking about understanding your purpose. Joshua chapter number 24, and we will look at verses 14 and 15. Hallelujah. Joshua chapter 24, verses 15 and 16. Can we read together? So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. Verse 15. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will, as for me and my house, we will do what? Serve the Lord. Now, uh, again, this is uh, a part of our study, and we are talking about what it means to be rooted and grounded in our faith. Having a solid foundation is critical to our growth as believers. So many times we neglect the foundation. Whenever you go to build a house, it's important that you have the proper foundation. There's a whole lot of work that goes on even before the slab is even poured. The packing of the, 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 the river sand, uh, uh, then you have the plumbing and everything that goes on beneath there, and then you, you pour that concrete to, f- to form the foundation of that personal home or, or, or commercial building. It is important that we, that we build the right foundation. So that's what we're trying to get to. We want everybody to understand that this faith journey is a glorious journey. It's a journey that all of us have been called to participate in. We shared with you on last week about priorities of life and how crucially important it is that we as believers have to the first, there's a commitment to Christ, right? We got to have a commitment to Christ. Secondly, we said there's a commitment to family. Everybody say family is important. And thirdly, we say there is a commitment to his church or the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, when Joshua made this statement, I shared with you on last week, this is on the cusp and the tail end of him coming into the children of Israel, coming into the land of promise. They're walking and they're operating in the land of promise, the land that God says, I've already given it to you. It is amazing to me how God talks. God talks is one who calls those things which be not as though they already are. He says, I've already given it to you. Every place that your foot treads upon, go in and take it and possess it. But there was one problem. There were people in the land. It was already occupied, but God says it's yours. How many of there are times in our lives when God will say, I have something for you. I have a plan and a purpose for your life, but you have to fight for it. Oh, come on now. See, some of us came up with a theology that says if, it's, if God is for that, then it's going to be smooth sailing. But I found in my life when I'm really walking after God, when I'm doing the things that God has called me to do, that's when opposition comes. Because the enemy will come and try to disrupt your peace to disrupt your purpose. So they move into the land of promise and God said every place you, your feet tread upon is yours, but there was enemy in the land. And not only is the enemy the land, but the, but the Hebrew people begin to intersperse, intermarry, and to date, amen, uh, those who were uh, uh, whoring after odd gods, uh, gods uh, of the Amorites and Hittites and everybody that was in that land. They were going after them, and so 
it's, it's, it's important that we recognize that when we connect with people, especially on an intimate level, we need to know what they believe, right? I always tell uh, uh, those who are getting ready to get married, make sure that you know that person who you're getting ready to marry. If you are a believer, they need to have a foundation of faith themselves. Can I get a witness? Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So what was happening was the, the, the Israelites were intermarrying, interspersing with these people. Not that the people themselves uh, were, were, were evil. It's, it's, well, there were some evil people there. But they, were, they didn't have the, the true and living God as their God. And so what began to happen is they began to turn their hearts of men away from the true and living God. And their hearts began to turn toward those false gods. How many of you know that when you connect with somebody emotionally and relationally and sexually, they can turn your heart? Okay, y'all got, y'all got, y'all got me a soft yes on that. How many of you know that when you connect with somebody emotionally, sexually, they can turn your heart away from God? And I, can I get a witness? How many of y'all ever dated somebody and you started doing stuff that you, you, swore in your, you swore on your mama's grave you would never do, but when you started dating that person, they had you going places that you said you would never go. They actually had you doing things that you said you would never do. Help me today, Jesus. Jesus, they act like they don't know what I'm talking about. Amen. So, so they went to this land and, 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 and they began to intersperse with these people and they turned their hearts away from God. And so they began, that's why Joshua made this statement, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Choose who you're going to serve. Now, guys, listen to me carefully. I need y'all to hear what, my, hear what I'm saying here. There are a lot of false gods in the world today. Can I get a witness? There are a lot of false gods. Some of them named football, basketball, baseball, sports in general, golf, fishing, hobbies, sleeping in, shopping, uh, getting a head start on my yard work. Some of them missed church. Hey, man, that's why God made it rain so you couldn't cut the yard today. All right? All these things, their names are money, social status. We begin to fall after these things, and these things become idol gods, a false god. Please hear what I'm saying, guys. There's nothing wrong with any of those things I just mentioned in and of themselves. I like football. Come on. I like basketball. I like uh, uh, watching sports. I like doing a whole lot. I love cutting my yard. I told somebody, I said, you know, cutting yard is like therapy for me. I get out there and that grass is green. It's cut smooth. It's edged properly. It's weeded. I hate, amen, a yard where somebody cut it and don't weed eat it. I hate the yard, Kenny, when, they, when you go and you watch them, they cut it, and then and they don't edge it. Uh-huh. It's like somebody getting a hair cut, but don't edge it. Yep. Don't take much for this, right? But, 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 but doing the yard is like therapy for me. But I can't place cutting the yard above serving my God. All those things in and of themselves are not evil. But when they take the place of God and God's sovereignty in our lives, they become idol gods. Your job can become an idol god. There are some of y'all who are, who, who you're hard workers, and, and it's great to be a hard worker. It's, it's great to, to want to advance your career, but never, never, never put your career above your God. Oh, y'all listen to me. Never put your career above your family. Hello? 
Because one day that job will end. One day they will ask you to retire. If they don't ask you to retire, they may ask you to leave. And so if you never put that time into, into, your, into your savior, into your family, into your, his church, then you end up being in a position where God can't really use you like he wants to use you because you put place that idol in front of him. So the point is this, guys. Whether we like it or not, we have to make a decision. Joshua says, choose this day, right? We, we, will we be loyal to God or not? Uh, will we put God first or not? And will we serve God or something else? Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, Joshua says, I got to make a decision. We're going to serve the Lord by making a commitment to Christ, a commitment to the family, and a commitment to his church as our top priorities. Remember this. If we don't, remember last week, if we don't put the big rocks in first, we'll never get them in at all. Now, now let's, let's look at the next part of the outline, talk about evaluating our time investment, because our time investment are, are indicators of where our hearts are. What we tend to put our time into, what we invest our time into, is a window into what's important to us. If somebody don't spend time with you, then you're not as important to them as they say you are. Are y'all with me today? So look at it. the first thing on evaluating our time. We said that the weakest investments we can make are in things that are not eternal. Everybody say the weakest things, the weakest investments we can make are in things that aren't eternal. Again, the things that are not eternal are not all bad. They just don't have eternal consequences. And like jobs, careers, renovating the house, sports, hobbies, all those things, they're not bad in and of themselves. So don't go away saying pastor's an old fuddy-duddy. He don't want me to do anything that I want to do. No, it's not what I'm saying. But if we are to be the presence of God in the lives of others, we need to be present with them, showing God's presence at work, in our homes, in our community at large. So the weakest investments are, we can make are in things that aren't eternal. If I don't spend time thinking about things of eternity and investing my time, talents, and my resources, my monetary means ought, ought to be an indicator of where my investments lie. Can I get a witness? Jesus told us to build up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt, right? Rather than just treasures down here on earth. So, so the weakest investments are we can make are in things that aren't eternal. The best investments we can make are in things that produce eternal returns. Go with me to James chapter number four. James chapter four. Let's look at verse number 13. The book of James chapter four, verse number 13. Are you still tracking with me today? Glory to God. James chapter four, verse number 13. We'll start there. As a matter of fact, can we back up to verse number 11? Let's go to verse number 11 of James chapter 4. The text says, I read from the New Living Translation. It says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. Now watch this. He says, dear brothers and sisters, which lets us know he's talking to, to believers, right? Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Now listen, hear, hear me carefully. What he's saying here is this. There are some people in the body of Christ who pretend or think that they can say whether or not somebody's going to heaven or hell. 
Now, when he says judge, he's talking about the, 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 the judging a person's salvation from the standpoint of, of, of you and I knowing for sure. There are some people I'm, I am convinced will think that they're saved, but their hearts are not right. And so that, that job is above our pay grade. Everybody say it's above, it's above. my pay grade. God is the one who's going to do the judging, right? When it comes time, when, when this thing wraps up and when it's time to, to heaven or hell, it's going to be God's job. But we are to judge, amen, whether something is sin or not sin. We ought to judge whether or not something is right or, or not right within the confines of the church. We've already shared that with you guys. It's important because Paul even talked about it in the first Corinthians that, that you got to deal with these things in the church so that that leaven don't leaven the whole lump. Do y'all have me? Are y'all with me? So when someone, if someone's in sin, let's say someone is, I don't know, whatever, whatever they're doing, they're stealing off their job and they tell you about it and you laugh about it. Listen, as a born again believer, you, ought to, you, you, you have to judge the righteousness of that based off what scripture teaches. If someone is committing adultery, you ought to judge the righteousness of that based off what scripture teaches. We ought to say that's wrong and that's right. That's all judging is just saying that's wrong or that's right. Everybody say that's wrong or that's right. As believers, we do judge what happens within the church, but we're not judging the salvation of one individual because we don't know. Some folk can fool you. It looks like they're saved, but they're not because their hearts are not changed. God don't look at the outside. He looks at the heart. Can I get a witness? So we are. So, so, so let's go to the next verse. It says, look here. You who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know? what your life will be like tomorrow. Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is what? Verse 17, for good measure, let's read. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it, okay? So when we look at these things, uh, time-wise, and, and what we're investing our time in, uh, we ought to let God guide that. We ought to, we ought to, we ought to uh, 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 take a backseat to God's will for our life as to how we spend our time and what we do with our time. Can I get a witness? So again, the second point we say is the best investment we can make are in things that produce eternal returns. Right? Invest in people, not just things. This is the key to living a life of purpose. Go to Matthew 28, verse number 18, and ver- through verse number 20. Matthew, the 28th chapter. We're going to look at verses 18 through 20. Invest in people. Now, again, listen. Let me say this right quick. It's important for us to grasp this concept. I know, because I've been around on this earth for a long period of time, I've been past believers and Christians for a long period of time. There are many of you all in here who have a little trouble investing in people. And the church said nothing. (laughs) There are many of y'all sitting in here who are a little antsy when I start talking about investing in people besides your family. And some of y'all, even when you're family, you don't want to invest in them. Some of y'all want to run from some people in your family, don't you? How many of y'all got a little crazy, crazy people in your family? I don't want you to raise your hand too high. But there are some people in your family you're like, I just don't know about that. Listen, it is, thank you, Holy Ghost. Here is the key 
to grasping this concept. You'll never grasp the concept and the importance investing in people if you don't focus on Jesus. I'm going to say it again. You'll never grasp and you'll never overcome your fears and your trepidations about connecting with people for the sake of discipleship if you don't focus on Jesus. If all you care about is what they may do to you or, or, or how they may hurt you or, or, or how, what something happened the last time, you become a selfish individual because all you're thinking about is yourself. But when you put your mind on Jesus and to try to please him, you can overcome those fears and those trepidations you may have. The problem is you're not focusing on Jesus. That's why you don't want people. Listen, if I didn't focus on Jesus, I mean, I could do without a lot of y'all. Can I say it again? I say do it out. Okay, that, maybe that didn't hit right. Y'all like, like that's you are a pastor. <laughs> I said if I didn't focus on Jesus, which means that I'm not a growing Christian. A growing Christian focuses on Jesus and his will for his life, so much so that you love the will of God above your own will. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Do y'all understand what I'm talking about now? Because left to ourselves, we probably wouldn't be as nice as we need to be. Left to ourselves, we can be selfish people. And it's all about what I want, what I desire, how I like things. If my church don't do it the way I like it, then I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. When we should be focusing on Jesus, because ultimately it's his church, and we allow his will to overcome our will, and we submit our will to his will, and then now when we submit our will to his will, we'll start loving people. Even those who may seem to be unlovable. Are y'all with me today? That that was for all the folk who don't want nobody to come by their house. (laughs) You got that pretty house, and got everything decorated and nice, but you don't want nobody over there. Hello, Walsh. Sherry, Sherry. Hello, Walsh. I like, I like that, Sherry. I like it, Sherry. Listen, guys. Hear my heart. Hear my heart. As your pastor, I've been called to challenge each and every one of us to do life God's way. And I'm not interested in, 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 in just trying to make sure everybody feels good every Sunday. I want, if, if, you, if you're following Jesus, you focus on Jesus, and you get into his word, you'll feel good because his word will be your will. But the reality is that there are some times, there are some things in this Bible that are hard if we're not focused on Jesus. Can I get a witness? There are some things that, 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 that will cause us not to be what we've been called and ordained to be. So, so again, the weakest investment we can make are in things that aren't eternal. The best investment we can make are in things that produce eternal returns. And investing in people is very important to God. Look at what Jesus said here in Matthew 28. Are y'all there? All right. So listen, I'm here to challenge all of us, including myself, to focus on Jesus. And when you focus on Jesus, that means you focus on his word, and what his word says for our life. And you don't dismiss it by saying, I can't do that. Because what you, if, when you say, I can't do that, what you just said was, God, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. 
You told me to do it, God, but I, I can't do it. Well, let me back up. You can't do it in and of yourself. But with the power of the Holy Ghost abiding on the inside of you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Watch the text. Are y'all there? Together. Ready to read. Jesus came and told his disciples, given authority. Back up, back up. Can you read it again? Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given, I've been given all authority in heaven and in earth. Verse 19. Let's read. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Nations stop, nations there is all nationalities. You got to understand this concept from the standpoint of the Jews thought they had a patent on God. The Jews thought it was just for them. All right. But God's gospel message has always been from the time he told Abram, leave your kindred, go to a place where I'm telling you to go. I'm going to tell you to go. He says, I'm going to bless all nationalities through your seed. So he says, go. So in other words, as I go to make a disciple, I don't just go to black folks. I don't just go to white folks. I go to everybody who needs to know the Savior. He says, watch this. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Next verse is read. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. That's what I'm trying to do, okay? And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the day, invest in people, not just things. So if I'm going to invest in people, that means i got to invest some time. Now, here we go back, focusing on Jesus. You will not do this if you're, not, if you're entirely focused on you, what you want, what you like, how you want it. You got to focus on Jesus. Everybody say focus on the Savior. Third thing we said is be the church everywhere you go. When we're evaluating our time investment, we need to be the church everywhere we go. This building is not the church. You and I are the church. If COVID didn't teach us anything else, it should have taught us that the church didn't stop because we didn't meet. The church still was active and live and vibrant because the church never was this building. It is us. Everybody say it's me. Church isn't something we intend. We attend. It's who we are. Go to Colossians, the third chapter. Colossians chapter number three. And we're going to begin our reading at verse number one. Are you still with me today? Colossians chapter number three. And we'll start our reading at verse number one. The apostle Paul is writing to these saints at Colossae. All right. And he writes this, watch this. Can y'all go with me? Let's let the word of God transform the way we think. Let's let the word of God have a preeminent place in our hearts and our minds. Let's let the word of God be the guiding principle for how we do life. Y'all ready? Let's read. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things. Stop. He said, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. In other words, when he says, obviously we live in this earth, so we got to think about earthly things. But what he's really saying is, let your priorities be focused on the things that are above. Let your priority be focused on things that are of eternal value. Are y'all still tracking with me? Can we keep reading? Next verse. Let's read. For you died to this life and your real life in God. Verse four. 
And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. Now watch this. He's talking to the church. Everybody say he's talking to the church. All right. Let's read. Let's go. So put to death the sinful. Uh, wait, 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 wait. So, Brother Pastor. Okay, Brother Pastor. He says, you told me when we start this that he's talking to saved folks. So why would he have to tell saved folks to put some stuff to death? Because there's some stuff living in us saved folks. There's some stuff in us, even though we've accepted Christ as our Lord and saved, we still live in this sinful body. Are you tracking with me? There's some stuff on the inside of us. And we hide it real good, don't we? But Paul says, I need you to address some stuff that's lurking deep within the, the bowels of your body and this flesh that you have. Can we keep reading? Watch this. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with what? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, idolater, how you want to pronounce it, worshiping the things of this. Let's go. I got to move. He says, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. God's coming. Watch this. Next verse. Read. Let's go. You, you used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. How many of y'all can remember some sins you were engaged in? And it was fun while you were in it, wasn't it? The Bible says, enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. Sin is pleasurable for a season until the chickens come home to roost. This, anybody under 40, y'all know what that means. Chickens coming home to roost means that when the consequences of those sins begin to impact your life. The consequences of those sins begin to impact your financial situation. You've been gambling for a long time, and now gambling has caused you to lose your home. You've been tipping, amen, and creeping, amen, in the midnight dew. Y'all know what that means. Let me paraphrase that for you in modern-day terms. When you got your side chick or your side dude who you've been hiding for five years, and now all of a sudden God in his infinite wisdom said, that joker ain't going to get out of that, so I got to pull the cover off that to get him out of that. It's going to cause hurt. It's going to cause pain. His family's going to go through turmoil. But guess what? I love you enough to expose you to get you out of it. Come here a little closer with me. See, 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 there, there, there's some things that we got to deal with. He says, you used to do these things when, you, when your life was still part of the world. Sin was pleasurable for a season until the consequences came home to roost. Things were doing good until, until they found out you weren't doing what you're supposed to do in your job. When it's time for the report, you hadn't got the stuff together, and so they have to say, well, listen, this has been a pattern with you, and we got to let you go. Or, or worse yet, there's money in this account that's not the company's account. You transferred from the company's account to that account. What were you doing? You got to go. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but he says it's pleasurable for a season until it's not anymore. Stuff can be good until it ain't anymore, right? Can I- in, in, in our colloquial phrase, it ain't anymore. 
But now is the time to get rid of anger. Why should, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's talking to Christians. Why are you so mad? Now is the time to get rid of what? Anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Is that what your Bible just said? Well, oh, bro, pastor, that's, that's the NLT. Can you put it in the KJV, bro, Jay? Put it in the KJV right quick. Uh, it says, but now you also put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your little dirty mouth. I add that little part right there, okay? It's a little dollology there. Out of your filthy mouth, okay? Next verse, let's go. Verse 7 says, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Can we flip back to the NLTJ? I know I'm working you, brother. You are so good, man. You're good. You, 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 you're, you're on point, man. Watch this. Watch this. Here we go. Don't lie to each other. He's talking to Christians. Why? Pray tell me. What do you have to tell Christians not to lie to each other? Because we do it. Yeah. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Verse number 10, I believe we had. Let's read. It says what? Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator. Stop, stop. He says what? You learned to know your creator. That's God the Father. Amen. And become like him. Who is him? Your creator. So, Pastor, are you telling me I can become like God? That's what it says. I didn't say you were God, but you ought to become like God because we are partakers of his divine nature. If I have his divine nature living on the inside of me, then that means I should be reflecting God in everyday life. We are disciple believers who consistently walk in the ways of God and have kingdom impact in our home school and the community at large. We will do what? Reflect our faith, faith, in other words, and lead others into a personal relationship with the Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, I should be reflecting what I'm learning. Let me say it again. I should be reflecting what I'm learning. Part of this rooted study is, is that not only are we learning it, but we got to practice. I thank God Saturday morning at 7 a.m., Brothers and sisters, but the brothers' class, I don't know about the sisters' class, but the brothers got together and prayed about 10 and 12 of us. And it was such a powerful anointing in that place, men praying. Seven o'clock on a Saturday morning, men praying, amen, gift lifting up their voice to God. There was a powerful move of the spirit in that place, but it came as a result of us doing what we were learning. Here's what I'm afraid of. There are many Christians in this church and in other churches across this land and country who are okay with learning this stuff, but you don't want to practice it. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. Can we keep, can we keep moving? So create it and be like him. We ought to be more like Christ the longer we're saved. Verse number 11 can we read it together out loud and on purpose? Are y'all there? Y'all ready? Let's go. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a... Stop. Stop. Let me, let me bring that to modern day turn. Let me, as Ari Vernon said, let me, let me vernonize it and contemporize it. I'm going to 
contemporize what he just said there. He says, it doesn't matter what, whatever your ethnicity is. Sometimes we skirt over Jew and Gentile. But what Jew, as far as God is concerned, there's only two, in Scripture, there's two ethnicities. You're either Jew, his chosen people, or you are a Gentile. Can we bring it to modern day term? It doesn't matter whether you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian. In this new life, it doesn't matter whether you're black, white, Spanish or Asian, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Can I get one amen up in here? And the moment you, if you don't ever get to the point to where you start to embrace gospel message and it's inclusiveness of everybody, then you will never be able to really be used by God at the level he wants to use you. It sickens me that Christians, I'm not talking about the world. The world, God didn't call me to preach this discipleship message to the world. The message I'm going to preach to the world is get saved, get right or get left, turn or burn. You better come on up or you're going down. Whatever you want, how you want to say it. That's my message to the world. But to believers, what I'm telling you is, is that God will hold all of us accountable when we, our thinking is thrown off, when we allow politics to shape our, our way of thinking, when we allow our experiences to take precedent over the word of God. Y'all track with me today. Say, hold your mood, Pastor. Okay, I'm going to hold it. All right. We got to get this right because God wants to use the church. And too many of us are sitting on our do-nothing. And God says, when you learn it, do it. I've said this before and I said it again. It would be better for you not to know this stuff than to know it and not do it. Because for him who knows to do good and do it not, it's what? It's sin. Every time we study something and you don't do it, or I don't do it, it's sin for us. Sometimes we do stuff out of ignorance. But most stuff, y'all ain't got no excuse. I say y'all, those who are part of this Elizabeth Baptist Church family, you don't have an excuse for not knowing the basics of the faith. If you're coming and you're learning, right? Can we keep moving? Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, come on, you must clothe yourselves with what? Tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility. All right, all right. So what he's saying is we got to put this stuff on. Since, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy. How many sometimes, all right, how many of y'all like me sometimes? Sometimes you just don't want to show no mercy. Let me see the hands of all those who will be honest in here. There's sometimes when somebody did something that's, that, that just made you so mad, you, you're not in the mood to show mercy. Oh, you, come on, y'all. Some hand, I need some, I'm ain't the only witness. I'm, I'm a witness and testify that sometimes you don't want to show no mercy. <laughs> but what does this say? Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with what? Tenderhearted mercy, kindness. Sometimes you won't just tell folk off. Faith, you hear me? Faith, I, know, I see your faith. Sometimes we want to, we want to, we want to, but that's, that's not who we are. Have y'all, have y'all ever did something that's not indicative of who you are? See, God is saying this, since you belong, he says, clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, Kindness, humility, gentleness, and Lord Jesus, patience, patience, patience. Verse 13, let's go. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive 
anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. Man, we're a trip, aren't we? We are such a trip. God, oh Lord, forgive me, God. You know what I mean to do that, God. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for the forgiveness. Um, he did that against you. He, I don't know. You know, I don't know if I can do that. Well, he, God forgave you. We got to learn how to forgive others. Verse 14, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule where? The peace that comes from Christ. See, getting the peace of Christ won't, will not come if we're not learning what God's word says about Christ and begin to embrace his will for our life. Okay, y'all with me? Watch this. Um, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be what? Thankful. 16 and 17, I'm finished here. Let the message about Christ and all this richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatsoever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. Now, guys, we, be the church everywhere you go. When the church comes together, we abide of Christ here on earth. Be the church at home, at work, in your community at large, wherever you are. Now, the, let's look at, at, at relationally, relationally intentional environments. Uh, we, we, we want a church that's relationally intentional. There are a lot of churches that, that don't have relationally intentional environments, and that's what we want to become. First of all, relationally intentional environments produce family. When you're intentional about building relationships, it produces family. The goal of the church, guys, is to make disciples. The disciple-making task necessitates, hear me carefully, necessitates that people care about one another while they do it. Churches that are transformational have rediscovered that lost people hunger for deeper relationships. Amen. When they, when they witness deeper relationships in the local church, a clear path is made to understand the, the gospel. What are you saying, Pastor? When, when, when the world sees the unity of the church, when the world sees us living in God-honoring gospel relationships, loving each other, forgiving each other, caring for each other, serving with each other, it makes an impact on them. Because they don't tend to see that amen, in the world as much. When they witness these deeper relationships, it, it causes them to, 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 to desire that. Jesus approached relationships with deep tenderness and fondness, guys. He dealt honestly with the disciples uh, uh, he so deeply loved, guys. We, we, we see the example of closeness and intimacy alongside rebuke and correction. He pulled them in close, talked to them, amen, but he also had to rebuke them and correct them when they, when they were wrong. See, when you are in a gospel relationship, then you don't run when somebody corrects you. You don't change churches because the pastor says something that hits you. And I promise you, if I'm listening to the Holy Ghost, and I believe that I am, at some point in time, something is going to come and hit you right between the eyes. Some mail is going to be delivered to your door. It's coming to your mailbox 
please don't put it back in the mailbox once you get out and read it. We got to get to the point to where we understand that people who love us will speak truth in our lives. And as your pastor, I love every last one of you all. Go to Hebrews, the second chapter, verse 10 to 12. Scripture describes Jesus' view of the church as family. Hebrews chapter number two. Are you still with me today? Talking about understanding your purpose. See, if I don't understand my purpose is to be connected and united with other believers, I'll come to church. Hear me carefully. I'll come to church. We'll be a friendly church, but not a relational church. I ask people all the time. I said, listen, I said, how was the... How did, how did you feel when you came? And, and most, most people say when they come to church, man, y'all are a friendly church. People hugged me when I came in. They spoke to me. They didn't make me feel like I, was, I had something on me. They just, you know, they just, uh, they were a loving church. And that's cool. I love to hear that. But I want us also to be a relational church because you can be a friendly church, but not a relational church. Friendly church is going to come, hey, hey, Jared, man, good to see you, man. Dap him up. Good to see you, dog. By the way, guys, thank y'all so much. Uh, the, the, the guys at Sister Babb that went and served the Woodlawn High School uh, pregame meal and Brother Craig shared a, a, a gospel message to that group uh, on Friday, man. And, and it, was, it, was, it was a really great atmosphere and just showing the love of Christ to those young men in that, in that inner city school. And he preached the gospel. And, 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 I, and I believe that those young, some of those young men were transformed by the gospel message that was shared by us just going and serving a meal. The G-Men brigade, brigade, brigade has been activated. And we're going we're gonna to feed food and preach gospel. Can I get a witness up in here? All right. So, so thank God for y'all brothers for, for, for doing that. that. That was awesome. Um, uh, now, where was I going? Hebrews, the two, second chapter, verse number 10 through 12. See, it's, 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 it's about relation. It's about family, guys. We can be a friendly church, but not be a relational church. God's goal is for us to be friendly and relational. Watch what, watch what this says. It says, God, y'all there? Can we read together? Let's read. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory, and it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. Next verse is what? So now Jesus, as he makes holy, have the same father. Uh-oh, we got the same father, right? We got the same daddy. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them what? His brothers and sisters. Not just servants, but he calls us brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. See, we are family. Relationally intentional environments produce family. Uh, not just by saying brother KD or sister Faith, but we actually mean that. You're my brother. You're my sister. Amen. He regard, you know, we, the Apostle Paul approached new churches and new Christians as family also. He planted churches in multiple locations across the Roman Empire. He felt a particular family bond to those he loved so deeply, guys. He used the word brother more than 120 times in describing Christians, and he used sisters on five occasions in his letters. 
He regarded himself as the spiritual father of those he evangelized and mentioned in the Christian faith. Remember his, his relationship with Timothy and Titus? They were his spiritual sons in the ministry. Paul was transparent about the joys and discomfort of a spiritual parent. Go to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 4 with me. 1 Corinthians 4, verse number 14 and 15. See, when you are in a family, there is joy and discomfort. How many of y'all as parent has discomfort with your children along the way? I need some hands raised. How many of y'all have had discomfort with your children along the way? You love them, you love them, and you're going to be there for them, but there have been some discomfort in y'all relational interaction from time to time, especially when they get to that age, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, when they think they know more than you, when they think that you are too old to know what's happening. When they think that you don't understand what's happening in the hip culture today, not understand that you've been through everything that they're trying to go through. You've already had the kind of relationship they had. You're trying to save them from it because you know it because you've been there. Hello? All right. But, but, but they'll catch it down the road. When, by the time they're 35, staff of the 40, they, they, man, 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 daddy was, daddy was on point when he told me that. I just didn't believe it. All right. But watch this. Wouldn't it be great if we caught it? Amen. When God gave it to us, when our parents gave it to us. Can I get a witness? Are y'all with me in first Corinthians, the fourth chapter? Let's start at verse number 14 and we'll read verse 15. Hurry, hurry. My time is running. Let's read. Ready? Read. I am not writing these things to shame you. Who's writing? Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Amen. I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to what? But to warn you as my what? Beloved, as your pastor, I'm not saying this stuff to shame you. I'm not saying this stuff to make you feel bad. I'm saying I'm sharing what I'm sharing because I see the potential that God has for you. I know what God wants to do in and through every last one of us in here. And I refuse to let us sit here and stay where we are. Growth involves continual progress. And that can't happen if we're not willing to be intentional about it. Verse 15, for even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. Amen. Verse 16 for good measure. So I urge you. Listen to what Paul says. I'm your spiritual father and I urge you to imitate me. Amen. In one other place, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Right. He says, I urge you to imitate me. So as your spiritual father here in ministry, when you are a member of this church, listen, I, I love you. And I love you enough to challenge each and every last one of us to not settle for where we are. Let's go and let's make sure God's word is the primary focus of what we do in life. Everything we look in life, we should view it from the prism of God's word with the glasses of the word of God before our eyes. Are y'all with me? One more, one more scripture. Go to 2 Corinthians with me right quick. The 12th chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. Glory to God. And No, chapter number 12. I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Verse 14 and 15 on there. I think that's right. Yes. Verse 14, now I am coming to you 
for the third time. Who's writing here? Paul. To the church at what? Corinth. I'm coming to you for the third time and what? And I will not be a burden to you. I don't want what you have. I want you. Oh, Lord Jesus. Can I say that as your pastor? I don't want what you have. I want you to follow Jesus. I want you to be ingratiated and, and sold out to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't want what you have. I want you. After all, watch this. Children don't provide for their parents, rather parents provide for their children. He's talking about spiritually speaking here. I will gladly spend myself and all I have for you, even though it seems that the more I love you, the less you love me. Oh, Lord Jesus. That sounds like a blues song. The more I love you, the less you love me. Paul was giving them truth. And, 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 you know, sometimes as a pastor, I know as a pastor, sometimes some of y'all get mad at me. That's okay. But we're in a love relationship. I ain't throwing you away. You, if you really love me, you love me. Jesus, you get mad, you get over with it. Did y'all hear me? You get over with it. You get over it. Amen. Just keep, keep studying, keep learning, keep focusing. You'll get over it. Come in close. You ain't hurt my feelings. It comes with the territory. Amen. And if you're going to really be relational with people, you got you to develop a little thick skin. You got to see them the way Jesus sees them. You got to see the potential in them. And that's what, that's what some of us don't do. We don't see the potential that God has in that individual. We just see them where they are now. But you ought to be able to see them where they are five years from now. Because you relationally took time with them, spent time with them, nurtured them, developed them. And now they are preaching the gospel, getting folks saved because you didn't give up on them. I will not give up on anybody. Amen. As long as there's breath in your body, there's hope. Are y'all listening to me? So, so, so Paul had that same mindset. Uh, he says, you know, he said, <laughs> Paul says, I, I will gladly spend myself and all I have for you, even though it seems that the more I love you, me. Paul was, Paul, was, Paul was heavy after these Corinthian believers. A church that fosters a relationally intentional environment um, gets comfortable doing life together. They also make plenty of space for new people, come on, for new people to experience the benefits and responsibility of being family. See, we can't, there are some churches, and God, I, I pray God that we are never like this. There are some churches who get nervous when new people come in. Over the pandemic, I will tell you, from the time that the pandemic started to now, we've had over 100 plus new members in this church. And I suspect some of y'all have came in like, who, who are all these folk? I don't know who they are. Well, we want to get relational. We want you to be a part of and, and know that we embrace, amen, when God brings new people into the body. It's, this ain't our church. It's his church. Can I get a witness? So stop being selfish. Well, you know, they sitting in my seat. You ain't got no seat. You ain't got no. That's, that's ebonically right, but it's not grammatically. You do not have a seat. I know how to talk. You do not have a seat. Amen. God bless us. The, the body's chairs. We replaced the people. We got a chair. Now, 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 listen, listen, I like the new. See, listen, it was important for us to do ministry the way we did it during the pandemic because people were watching us via live stream. We spent, we invested in, in, in having a quality live stream so that those who were watching us online wouldn't click the button and then because it was janky. Y'all know what janky is? I mean, just messed up, just 
low budget, you know, not even no thought, no, no effort put into it. Whatever I do for the Lord, I want to do it with a spirit of excellence. If I'm going to preach, I want to preach with a spirit of effort. If I want to give, I'm going to give with a spirit of excellence. I don't want to do anything half-hearted for the Lord. What's what we do? The Bible says do it heartily as unto who? The Lord. All right, so relationally, second, relationally intentional environments practice one-on-one relationships. Jesus often preached a large crowd, but the most compelling conversations with individuals were informal and seemingly unplanned. Jesus challenged people like, you remember the rich young ruler who came to him and asked him a question? What do I need to do to inter- inherit eternal life? Jesus gave a list of things he used to do. He said, I've done all those. Jesus knew where his heart was, Jerry. He said, go and sell everything you got. Dude walked away depressed. Now, that wasn't his message for everybody who wanted to come to him, but he knew that that money had him rather than him having his money. God don't have a problem with you being rich. Because as a matter of fact, he can use you when you got well to, amen, to fund ministry. But he cannot stand it when your money has you. When money has your heart, when the love of money becomes your priority. Jesus, amen, amen, talked to his disciples and others in a one-on-one environment. So relationally, intentional environments practice one-on-one relationship. There's a lot we can learn together. There's a lot we can learn in small groups. But some of the most lasting and pertinent transformation will come when you talk to another brother who's one-on-one, tell them about your issues, having them pray for you. Y'all going to the Lord in prayer and watching, amen, how God transformed your life. Thirdly, relationally intentional environments provide space for difficult people. Let me say it again. Relationally intentional environments provide space for difficult people. Sadly, guys, churches often have no place for recovering alcoholics or drug addicts or couples considering divorce or people who, who've been incarcerated or, or people who just hadn't got over what they need to get over. Amen? And so and oftentimes there's no place for these people to, 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 to connect because you, you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know about him, your brother pastor. You know, he, I heard he still drink. Well, some of y'all in here still drink. And we still connecting with you. Can I get a witness? Some of y'all in here still lying. And we're still connecting with you. Some of y'all in here may have been to jail. I don't know. But we're not going to throw you away because you were incarcerated. That's what the redemption story is all about. Transformation. Taking that which is worthless and making it valuable. We want this to be a safe haven for hurting people. We want this to be a safe haven for those who don't have it all together. Because the truth be told, Brenda, none of us in here have it all together. Well, I wish I had a screen. A screen. screen. (laughs) I wish, I don't really wish this, but I'm saying, what, what if on a particular Sunday the Holy Ghost says, I'm going to write everybody's struggles on the screen. I'm going to put your name there, and then your struggle going to pop up. Boy, y'all be... <laughs> a lot of us will be vacating this place. When I'm, let me get on out of here. Some of y'all like, my name is W. I get out, I get out here before the W's come. Right? 
y'all that got A in your name and B, we in trouble, Yvonne. <laughs> he going to catch us first. Guys, guys, all of us have struggles, so we need to have an environment where we can embrace people who, have, who are not where they need to be and try to help them get to where they need to be. That's what the church is all about. So relationally intentional environments provide space for difficult people. That, that's not run from them, guys. Let's, let's bring them in. Uh, and lastly, relational intentional environments do have systems and processes in place. In other words, the, 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 you know, we have systems that help us you know, not just put on programs, but, but, but a system in place that, that gives the opportunity for us to connect with people on a deeper level. That's what we want. We want, and that's what, that's what we're pushing. That's what we're driving, amen, us. Not a forced thing, but it's, it becomes a real thing when our focus is on Jesus. If your focus is not on Jesus, you think I'm being forced. I know that because I used to feel that way because I wasn't focusing on Jesus and what his will was for my life. I was concerned about what I want and what I like. Hear me carefully. God is into people. God loves people. And when you don't love people enough to connect with people, you're not focusing on God. I don't care what you say. I don't care how religious you look. God is about transforming the lives of people. And when you're not concerned about that, you're really not focused on God. Did y'all hear me? I said that you hear me. Listen, we don't, we don't want to replace natural relationship with programs, but we can champion relationships through programs. When programs replace relationships, they become safe. Uh, they become safe, dead religious activity. I don't want us to have a program. I want us to have an environment where we can connect, where we can have some one-on-one time, where we can have some small group time. Because that's, 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 there's things that a brother will, may raise his hand and share in a group of five brothers and he ain't going to do it in this whole church right here. There's some things that the sister may share when she's praying one-on-one with you that she ain't going to share with the whole group. So we got to cultivate those type of environments, those atmospheres. And that won't happen if my focus is not on Jesus. If it's all about me and what I want. Listen to me carefully. The old evangelists used to preach, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you a car. How many of y'all know that's true? Let's modernize that and contemporize it. Going to, a, going to a program doesn't make you, make you a disciple any more than going to an Apple store makes you a Mac computer. Bring it in modern day terms. Are y'all with me? We got the attendance every Sunday morning, midweek Bible study, marriage retreat, revival service. All that's good and fine and well, but it will not make a person into a mature disciple. Church relationships are necessary for that to happen. Okay? Intentional relationships fill in the cracks that we normally see people fall through in our local churches. So part of our purpose is to connect with other believers.